We're going to be reading this morning from Exodus chapter 3, verses uh, 1 through 6. You should be able to see those on the screen. Um, And it says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Herob, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys can take a seat. Thanks, Kim. And thanks again, Lauren. Um, So we are going to jump into the passage that Kim just read. Uh, That is only a part of the passage we're going to be covering this morning. We are going to go over two whole chapters in the Bible, right? So you're getting your Bible reading in for the day. Um, If you're new, we're we're going through the book of Exodus, uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, as much as we can uh, in the course of 11 or 12 weeks, going over 40 chapters. So there's a lot to cover. Like I said, we're going to be going over two of them. I'm going to just pray again now for our time, but I also want to pray for Faith Bible, who... um, Honestly, I say the same service times as us. If you don't know Faith Bible Church, they have been a faithful presence in the West Valley for a long time. As a matter of fact, um, longer than I've been alive, and yet they've only had two pastors. Um, and that's an amazing, uh, I think, in our... Uh, in our culture, just to be faithful. One pastor planted it, was there for 15 years, and now Dan, who's been there for over 20 years, and even right now, something we're going to pray for is they're now looking, as Dan's looking to retire, they're going through the process of now hiring a new pastor. We want to pray that uh, God would bless him in that, um, that time as they're trying to look for somebody to replace Dan. There's a two-year transition period that they're going to do and all that. So we're just going to pray for them, for their time as they're opening up their word. We recognize we don't have a monopoly on the word of God. God is using Dan, even in this moment, to teach scripture in the same way that I pray that he would use myself as we go through Exodus 2 and 3, so, or 3 and 4. So let's, let's pray now. Father, as we open our word, uh, we now rely on you to um, brush across the scriptures uh, to give us faith. We pray that uh, we would understand that there's nothing that we can read and hear, just words and sentences, that's all it is, but, but spirit, by you uh, coming into this room, enlightening our heart, giving us the ability to see you're the one that uh, encourages us and rebukes us and corrects us, and you train us in righteousness in these moments. And so we're grateful for that. I pray that um, that would also be true of Faith Bible. We pray together as a church that you would bless them, um, that you'd bless their time this morning as they're in the Word, that you'd bless them as they go about uh, continuing to uh, uh, grow in their faith and grow in sanctification and righteousness. We pray, God, that just as a church that's been faithful out here for a while, before there were streetlights on 59th Avenue and, and Bell, God, that you were there with them, uh, continuing to grow them. Uh, and, and we pray that would be true even now. As they're even transitioning again to the third pastor in 40 years, um, we're grateful for their faithfulness. And we pray that you'd bless this next two-year transition for them. Be with them. Thank you for them. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's jump in. 
Exodus chapter 3. I wasn't with you last week. I was at Arcadia. Um, I love being at Peoria. I'll leave it at that, okay? Uh, Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock and his fa- uh, of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to uh, Herib, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why, the, why is the bush not burning? Why the bush is not burning? Was not burned, sorry. Is not burned. Yep, there we go. Uh, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. So we're going to go through this. Um, I, I shared this two weeks, with, two weeks ago. When we go through narrative passages, I feel most comfortable of just going through it verse by verse, kind of drawing out things that I think are helpful, right? And then I want to take a step back as we draw out these verses and then go, okay, cool. We've seen each verse, how it correlates to each other. Now, what are we supposed to do with this passage? And that's when we're going to look at the whole forest, okay? Because we have two chapters, I'm going to sum up uh, certain portions, about 18 verses for us, and, and you can go back and read those if you want. But the context text, if you remember, is the people of Israel are still suffering. God heard their suffering, which we'll come back to our time together at the end there. Um, But God now is going to respond to that suffering. He's going to do something. We've been following this guy. The camera's been on this guy named Moses. And so now we're going to see what God is going to do with Moses. Why in chapter two did the camera focus on Moses the whole time? So now we have Moses. He's a shepherd. Okay, we know he has a family with the, uh, the people of Midian. He's out and he's at this mountain. And so here's the first thing that I think are some cool observations. The first thing that I want you to observe is this mountain is, uh, is Herib. So this mountain, it comes by this name now, but I want you to remember the term of this name because you'll see it there. It's called the mountain of God. This same mountain that God meets Moses now is the same mountain that God will give Moses. Moses will go to Egypt. He'll come back and he'll get the 10 commandments on this mountain. This is a really important mountain, the mountain of God. So just something to to be aware of. Also something to be aware of is there's some sentence structure here that I want you to see. God calls out to Moses and he goes, Moses, Moses. And Moses looks. That sentence structure in Hebrew has only appeared one other time before this. And it was Abraham, Abraham, and God, and Abraham looked at the stars. And so like the sentence structure, the grammar's doing something here. It's trying to tell us in the same way God had started his story with Abraham, he's continuing it with Moses, okay? So something to to, to be aware of as we go through this. Verse five, and he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet for the place in which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. And and then we'll continue on from there. So again, I just want to observe something, the sentence structure that we're going to read here, come no closer, um, is actually Moses's life. There's so much foreshadowing and looking back in the book of Exodus. It's hard to keep up with, but I want you to remember this statement as Moses is standing there, he's herding these sheep. He sees a bush. The bush is on fire, and that draws his attention because the bush is on fire, but it's like not burning out. So what is he supposed to do with this? And as he draws near, there's this angel that appears, and God, this uh, uh, this angel, which just simply means messenger, God is using this angel to speak to Moses in this moment. He calls out Moses, 
Moses. Now, um, that's the whole thing that we got before. But also, as Moses draws near, God says, this is holy ground. Don't draw any closer. And he makes him take off his shoes. It's crazy because at the end of the book of Exodus, matter of fact, the last chapter, the very end. So this starts the trek with Moses. At the end of the trek of Moses, what we're going to find is the same exact language as Moses finishes building the tabernacle. God will say, don't draw near. Like, stay back. Same. So, so God is doing a lot of cycles in here. Now, um, as Moses sees the bush, he tells him to take off his feet. Or take, well, no, not possible. He tells him to take off. I guess it's possible. But he tells him to take off his shoes. Um, there's going to be a lot of things that we cover this morning with, with uh, this passage that are a little goofy. So I think I have three reasons why he tells him to take off his shoes. Um, the first thing that, that I want you to be aware of before I give you those three things is, um, God says that the ground Moses is standing on is holy ground. And this may sound bizarre, but the word holy was surprisingly absent in the book of Genesis. Crazy. As you read it, you'll find it when it talks about the Sabbath, but he doesn't call Abraham holy. He doesn't call, he calls him righteous. He doesn't call Noah holy, calls him blameless. The word holy does not appear like it appears twice. I believe in the book of Genesis, it does not appear that much compared to Exodus where it appears all over. And this is the first appearance. And there's a few reasons that I think God would tell Moses to take off his feet. One, there's a possibility that, um, his shoes are made by an unclean animal, which is, you know, very possible. Um, Two, I better stick to my notes. I'm going to get off on, on a tangent here. Um, two, uh, I think there's a sense of at, like he's, he's being invited into something, which that's one of the commentators said. I don't think that's the case. I think I would argue for the third thing that I ultimately is. Um, when I was in, I saw this when I was at a mosque this uh, last Ramadan. A few of us went and visited this. Before they walk into the mosque, they take off their shoes before they enter the sanctuary. I remember being in Africa and Asia, and I saw the pastor do the same thing. Uh, I have a buddy who preaches in India, and he actually preaches with his shoes off the same idea. There's a sense of like, um, in the same way when God experiences man, whether he sees him and the man goes blind, or someone touches the Ark of the Covenant and he dies, the moment where the holiness of God meets man, there's this like impact moment where harm could befall him. And I think God is warning, I'm here on this earth right now, in this vicinity, stay back, okay? Uh, it is interesting, though, as we go through the book of Exodus and Leviticus, all of the priests are given certain priestly things to wear, certain garments, except on their feet. Um, and this seems to be uh, a Levite's son doing the same thing. Verse 7, then the Lord said, I have surely, surely seen the effect, uh, affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. Now, if you were with us last week, you know that's exactly how Exodus 2 ended. God reminds us that though Moses was content in Midian, God's going, but I'm in Egypt. And I hear this suffering, and I want to do something about it. What I love about this passage is, this is important to where we're going this morning. God hears the suffering of his people, and he shares that burden with Moses. Do you understand? God hears suffering, he hears pain, and he shares that burden with Moses. Goes on to say this, verse 8. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the uh, Parasites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. 
And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I also see the oppression with the Egyptians, uh, the, the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. So God doubles down and says, I've seen it. But here's what I love about what God is doing in this moment. He's sharing Moses. I see the suffering in Egypt, but God calls his shot. There's this old commercial with Larry Bird and Jordan where they do this, right? And so it's so funny because God doesn't just go, hey, listen, I'm going to do something about it. He goes, watch how awesome I am. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to Egypt. I'm not just going to rescue them and leave them in Egypt. I'm going to call them out of Egypt. Not only that, then after that, I'm going to bring them to this land that's flowing with milk and honey. This is very similar to when Corbin and I play one-on-one, right? I'm a grown man. He's a boy. And so when I play him, I go, I'm going to go to the left. I'm going to stop. I'm going to head fake. I'm going to go to the right, and I'm going to dunk it. And you could try to stop it, but you know what? He can't stop it, okay? And so here's God in this moment calling his shot, going, here's what I'm going to do. I'm not just sharing with you what I've seen. I'm also sharing what I'm going to do. And you've got to imagine Moses in this moment going, this is amazing. Okay, let's do this, right? This is awesome, God. And, and this is what happens. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Here's God going, I'm going to do this and this. And Moses is like, okay, yeah, yeah. And he goes, okay, let's go. And Moses is going, wait, wait, what? Right? You're, you're going to, so I'm going to Egypt with you. I'm going to go talk to Pharaoh. And that's exactly what, um, what Moses responds with in verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the, be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall, you shall serve God on this mountain. Moses goes, what? I'm not going to go. And God responds with, no, I've got this. I'm going to do this. Don't worry. I've got this. Let's keep going. Verse 13. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Now I want you to notice something. This is important. As God is sitting there, I'm assuming still amidst this burning bush, Moses is talking to someone as a bush isn't burning and he's just questioning. But I want you to see this in verse 11. As you look at the text, Moses questions himself. Who am I? But in verse 13, Moses questions God, well, who are you? Do you see that? I mean, it's doubt at its fullest. So if they ask, who are you? Okay. And in, in this, this, this is the last thing Moses will say for the rest of the chapter, because God goes, who am I? Well, buckle up. Let me tell you. Okay. This is what happens. Moses says this whole deal, the people of Israel, if they ask, what's, what's your name? This is God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord of the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So um, this I am statements, which is a very well-known statement. Tons of ink has been spilled, spilled on this. As a matter of fact, one of the commentaries I'm reading is called The Name of God. And it, he argues that the rest of the, the book of Exodus is unpacking this I am-ness. Now, uh, this month, later this month, we will unpack more of the name of God. But for now, I want you to see something. When Moses goes, well, who's sending me? And he makes this statement, I am who I am. Um, might just be missed, one, because we're pretty well aware of the term, but two, sometimes we don't understand complexity. So here's what I want to do. I want to show you how complex this statement is so you can appreciate it truly. This is the same way that my wife, um, as she's uh, doing her degree, she started to explain the human eye to me. Now, I think it's just the human eye. 
she starts to explain the eye to me, and I go, wow, like, that's crazy. The way the eye works, the way it connects, it's inverted. And I, and I eventually goes like, cool, I, I don't know most of what you're saying right now. Um, this is actually, I read Albert Einstein's uh, biography last summer. And um, in it, they, had to, they were forced to describe the, uh, the laws of gravity, and it's specifically a black hole. And I remember listening to, to this part of the book and going, um, I don't know what's being said right now, right? And as I read this commentary, uh, the commentary that I, I shared with you guys uh, from Victor Hamilton, as I read this commentary, I went, I don't know what this is saying right now. So I want to let you in to my job a little bit. My job, I feel my job on teaching on Sunday is to take academia, the people who really have spent 25 years studying the book of Exodus and translate it to us as a congregation. So here's what I read on the commentary for this. You ready? It's the human eye. Buckle up, okay? Listen to this. The issue revolves about how, I'm sorry, the issue revolves about how to render the Hebrew term here. The traditional way is, I am who I am. But that's just one of several literary, literal translations of the Hebrew. The term ea, which you don't need no Hebrew here, we'll skip those words, is a first person imperfect. And the verb hayab, which is to be, equals the English I was, I am, and I will be. Plus who in the who I am may also mean what what, thus adding to the possibilities. Let's go with who and suggest some legitimate translations. You ready? Here's the possible ways to translate God's declaration. I am who I am, I am who I was, I am who I shall be, I was who I am, I was who I was, I was who I shall be, I shall be who I am, I shall be who I was, and I shall be who I shall be, right? So when I try to break this down and what God is saying to Moses, this is the best way I think I can translate this term. Go to Pharaoh and go, you don't want to do this, okay? You don't want to do this. This is God's declaration of, no, 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 you got to know who I am. And I'm trying to explain, I'm trying to put this human language, and it's messing me up, okay? So uh, he goes on in unpacking, I think, something really beautiful, this this commentator, uh, which I think begins to unpack what God is trying to display to Moses. This is what he ends up saying, uh, uh, the second part of this quote. It seems that the name implies more than merely God's existence, more than ontology, which is the study of names, is at stake. I suggest that the dominant idea is presence. Moses asks after God's name. Yahweh responds by providing not a label, but a theology. That is to say, God will always be there for his people. In a distant Egypt too, even if the divine presence is questioned, he will always be wherever his people need him to be at any given moment, in any given place. If there is is need for a deliverer, that's where Yahweh will be. If there needs grace and mercy and forgiveness, that's Yahweh. If they need purifying and empowerment, that's Yahweh. If they need rebuke and chastisement, that's Yahweh. If they need guidance, that's Yahweh. For a God is, I will, for God is a, I will be what I will be God, and a, I will be what I need to be for my people, God. And you get the idea, right? So here's the declaration. I think he's right. God's making this declaration. Listen, I'm here. I'm here right now. I was with him. I've been with him. I'll be with him. I'm here right now. And he, and I love that statement. He's not just providing, uh, like, try to explain a name. He provides this theology, this deep rich theology. Now, 
Uh, It it continues because uh, God now in this moment recaps what he's going to say for the rest of the chapter, of the end of chapter 3. He says, so let me remind you, I am who I am. Here's what I'm going to do. And we pick up in chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 1, Moses speaks again. And you would think at this point he has learned, but he hasn't. Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. God in this moment, extremely patient, goes, what's in your hand? He goes, well, I'm shepherding sheep. And so he has a staff. Drop the staff. He drops it. It turns into a serpent. He says, pick it up. And he picks it up. And it turns into a staff. He says, put your hand in your pocket. Puts his hand in his pocket. Take it out. And it's leprous, like white as snow, leprous. Moses freaks out. He goes, relax. Put it in your pocket. He puts it in his pocket. Take it out. Pulls it out. Totally clean. And Moses goes, okay. And God goes, you get it? Moses doesn't get it. Okay, verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. At this point, it's clear Moses doesn't want to go. Okay, and he even uses uh, literally in Hebrew. He says, I have a heavy tongue. I, I can't speak right. Right. And God goes, what are you what are you talking about now? It's up to this point where we have not once nowhere in Scripture in Genesis or through the beginning parts of Exodus. God has never gotten angry. Never. Not even in Noah's days, he never got angry. For the first time in scripture, God gets angry. Listen to verse 14. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with your mouth and, uh, yeah, and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. Verse 16, he shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. And take your staff in this, uh, take your staff this I'm sorry, let's start again. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. A lot of text to read here this morning. Um, so in this moment, right, God, it almost feels like God goes, fine. Like, and I'm not saying that there's no tone grammatically, does it? but I am just thinking like, it, it, as you read it, you almost feel like God is like, he's angry, he goes, fine. What about Aaron? He's, uh, Moses is related to this guy, Aaron. Okay, fine, we'll use Aaron. Now it is interesting, um, because Moses doesn't want to be used, which ironically, God wants to use Moses for the very reasons Moses doesn't want to be used, right? He wants to use Moses in his weakness. But Moses doesn't want to do that, and so he relies on someone else's strength. What's crazy in the narrative, you're going to see this take place, it's because Moses wants to rely on a strength that in chapter 32 of Exodus, Aaron uses his eloquence to turn the people to worship a golden calf. It's because Moses doesn't want to rely on the Lord here that he starts this trajectory of idolatry. I want you to see that. It's, it's, it's important to, to notice in there. Going down, so what we have in this moment, Moses leaves. Um, He's like, okay, cool. At least I got Aaron. There's this compromise in place. He goes, he goes and kind of half lies to his father-in-law, says, I need to go visit some people in Egypt. And so he's on his way, okay? And so we pick it up in chapter four, verse 21. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do not, uh, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I've put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that 
uh, he will not let the people go. Then he, then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you, ref- if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. So this is God telling Moses this. There's a lot to unpack here, and I am going to humbly ask to punt this one for now. Okay? There's two things in here. One, God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And two, he says, I'm going to kill the firstborn. There's a lot to unpack there. So let me say this. I'm not avoiding this. I promise you. We will come back to this. But I think if we can punt this away right now, we'll have better field position to understand how often those two terms are going to appear. How often the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. It's better for us to begin to unpack this when we have the whole scope of Exodus. And it's better to unpack this dying of the firstborn when we have the whole scope of Exodus. So you need to come to church if you want to know those answers. Okay? So that's, we'll, we'll cover those. I promise. And then at the very end... Uh, it says this in, uh, towards the end here, this statement that we got to just spend a quick second on because it's super bizarre. Verse 24, at a lodging place on the way the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. So Moses is on the way now to Egypt. He, right? He's going to uh, meet Aaron. He's on the way now. And they're at this lodging place. Uh, and the Lord met and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint, Zipporah's his wife, and took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin, touched Moses' feet with it, and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he, let, so he, assuming it's God, let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Cool. Okay. So um, <laughs> David Penjensky, he has this great statement talking about these three verses. Listen to what he says. Biblical scholars love this passage because it is totally incomprehensible. And if it's incomprehensible to the scholar, what about the other 98% of Bible students and readers, right? So even like what, what's crazy is even in English, it's given you us more ways to understand it. There's far more pronouns in here. Like there's a couple times where the word Moses appears that the translators assume it's Moses, but we don't even for sure know uh, it's a pronoun. There's not, I wrote down nine questions in here. What we have from the story is the sense of um, they're traveling along. Uh, God now decides he's going to kill. We assume Moses, um, for something, we don't know even why, but Zipporah, his wife, quickly responds. How she knows to respond with what she's about to do, we don't know, but a woman always knows, right? She goes and circumcises her son, that should solve it, takes the foreskin, touches Moses' feet, again, we assume it's Moses, touches Moses' feet or the kid's feet, we don't know for sure, touches uh, the feet, and God goes, whew, okay, you're good. Now, Zipporah in this moment goes, now you're a, bl- a, br- a bridegroom of blood to me, right? And you're going, what just happened? What just happened? Here's what I would argue. I'm not saying I'm right in this because there's so much speculation. What it, what it has a sense of is Moses being raised in Egypt and now amongst Midian people, his family being raised, his wife being Midian, um, being pagan people, um, Moses has not practiced the holiness laws that God will eventually put in place. And so um, the circumcision, as attributed all the way back to Abraham, is part of his people. And so I don't know why God didn't bring this up at the bush, but why he brings this up now is, is it is what it is. But, and how Zipporah knows to respond to circumcise their children. Zipporah is obviously upset about this because this language, it's almost like this cussing at Moses going, like you're a bride, like she detests the idea that this is a practice of the Hebrew people. 
That would be my guess. But now Moses is clean in that now the circumcision laws, the rules that have been put in place by Abraham are now put in place by Moses' family. I'm not saying, listen, I will admit fully that uh, I do not have the answers here. I don't fully know what this is. Uh, but that's my best attempt to understand this. Okay, so that's how we understand this very bizarre story. Uh, now let's finish this text out, okay? Then the Lord said to Aaron, go into the the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. So Moses said, Aaron, check this out. He did the staff and and, and, uh, this hand. You put your hand in your pocket. You try, okay? 29. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders and the people of Israel. And Aaron spoke, so notice it's Aaron, Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads in worship. So Moses now comes and goes, God sees you. We're here to do something about this. And they go, yes. Now, there's something in this text um, that as we now have got to kind of zoom out that I, I want us to see. Matter of fact, um, there's a few different things. The first thing I want, I want to literally zoom out of the text. So I want to show you our text here. This is the entire text we just covered here, right? You can read that from where you are, okay? Um, I get it. You can't read it. But here's, here's why this is important. As we've gone through this text and we read this text, it doesn't include the last 15 verses. This is just the conversation portion with God and Moses. Um, I, want, I want you to notice something. Can you put up the second slide here? This yellow, that part in all this text, I want you to notice not just how rhythmic it is and that it's white, yellow, yellow, white, yellow, yellow. Um, This is every single time in the text we just covered in this conversation, God in talking to Moses goes, hey, listen, look back to who I've been and look forward to what I'll do. So every time, this is in a, a tense where God is going, I'm the God of Abraham. Remember, I've got this. I'm the God of Jacob. I've got this. Not only that, I'm going to bring you to this land. I know what I'm doing. The first thing that I want to see that Moses misses, he absolutely misses this. This is part of something bigger than him. God has had a plan. He's had a plan from the jump. He continues to have a plan. And he's under control here. He's not going off the rail. And it's hard for Moses to get his mind around this. And so there's a few things as we look at that holistically in God's plan that I want you to see. There's three things ultimately. The first thing is this. In God's plan, uh, and especially in this text, at the end of chapter 2, 3, and 4, God is insistent on saving his people. Absolutely insistent on saving his people. The back and forth that we saw with Pharaoh and the Lord in chapter 1 is a very similar back and forth here. And God now is going with Moses, but I see their suffering. Man, I would even take this a step further, um, not just in saving his people um, soteriologically in salvation for their souls, but he desires to come alongside the suffering, the marginalized, the hurting. He hears. Let me, let me share something I shared in Arcadia. I want you to notice at the end of chapter 2, what God says, as, as Moses is in Midian content, God's ears are still in Egypt, and he hears that suffering. But it's not just that. Look, remember some of the verbs at the end of chapter 2 when we read this at 2.23. He hears, he remembered, he saw, and he knew. I tried to explain last week to Redemption Arcadia. This is very similar to the way that when we were raising our children, Candace and I, when we would put them down for a nap, um, uh, Candace and, uh, would begin to cry in the same way Corbin would begin to cry. Corbin's like six months old. He's a like, mom, oh, I don't want to take a nap, right? Well, I'm like, yeah, 
they'll be fine. Leave them alone, right? And I'm over here like doing yard work and it isn't, but Candace is curled up in the Papa Sun weeping like, my heart is breaking, right? And I'm going, they're going to be fine, right? The difference is Candace is not just here. We're both hearing the cries. This Hebrew word is not just here, but he feels like, like my wife, she, she's feeling this. Her heart is breaking. God hears this suffering, and he is insistent on doing something about it. Moses, but I'm insistent on doing something about it. Moses, but, 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 I'm insistent on doing something about it. Chapters 3 and 4 place not just God doesn't just hear the suffering, but he's going to do something about it. And whether that be in the moments now God comes alongside you by his grace and helps alleviate a lot of that, that suffering, but I, would, I would, would be willing to bet we're far close, closer to Lauren's uh, uh, posture and experience that for 95% of these situations, it will not be to the other side where we stand before God and go, oh, I see. But one day it will be worth it. One day we will stand before God, we'll see what he's done. But here's what we know for sure. That day's coming because this God's insistent. He's insistent. I see suffering and I'm going to do something about it. But here's what's crazy. God isn't just insistent on moving towards suffering. He's he's insistent on using his people to do it. This is what's hard for us. Yeah, God cares. But at the same time, God has called you to care like he cares. Like at any moment, he could have been like, fine, Moses, I'll do it myself. But he doesn't. He continues to press in. Church, hear this. Let me remind you of this in 2 Corinthians. Let me remind you of this. If you forgot, this is for all believers. 5, 17, and 18. Therefore, if anyone is is in Christ, he's a new creation. We love that. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us with the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, we are ambassadors of Christ. God is making his appeal through us. He's not just insistent on moving towards the suffering and those who need to hear the gospel. He's insistent on using you to do it. That's crazy. Now, what I want you to notice is how frail you are in that call. Moses, back and forth, not one time in this interaction is Moses going, okay, but they're not going to know, okay, but they're not going to know this, or my tongue. God doesn't go in this moment, okay, like he's got three things he could have easily done. Okay, well, fine, I'll I'll heal your stutter. I'll take care of it. You won't have a stutter anymore. Or he could have gone like, you know what, that's fine. Um, Here's what, uh, let's lean on this strength. If you don't want to say it, I'll have you right. He could have done any of these other things. Not one moment does God go, but you've got a lot of other great qualities. Not one moment. Every time Moses goes, but I can't, God goes, but I can. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't do this like weird, like beat your chest. You're awesome. You could do it. Let's psych you up. He goes, no, I'm awesome. And I'm here with you. I'm awesome. And I'm here with you. I love this. I love this posture. And, 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 uh, there's this great story where Martin Luther, who is, uh, the, the, uh, part of the reformation. If you don't know that story, you can look it up. But, uh, Luther's in this really, uh, tough position where he's got to go stand before this council and recount his theology. And um, one of his friends come up to him and they say, are you afraid of the Pope? And Martin Luther says this, the only thing I'm more afraid of the Pope is self. I'm afraid that I would rely on self, right? And so in this moment, Luther uh, pushes into, I think, what God wants Moses to see Yes, I know you have a stutter. Yes, I know you're broken. Listen, I get it. You don't know the Bible really well. 
I know, I know, I know you're addicted to this. I know you're, you're struggling with this. I know you're not great at this. I know, I get it, but do you see them? Go to them. But God, I feel like I'm not that, yeah, yeah, I know you're not, but I am. Go to them. Over and over. This isn't Moses' story, y'all. This is our story. This is us going back and forth. Now, there is a verse that I want to finish our time with for the last three minutes I want us to meditate on for a second. Because there is a part in Moses' brokenness that he declares something almost prophetically. Listen to this declaration in chapter 4, verse 13 of Exodus. This is what Moses declares as he continues to go back and forth with God. Listen to this. Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. <laughs> I found myself so frustrated with Moses. And then, as I just shared finding myself identifying with so much. And Moses' plea is so simple. God, I can't. Please send someone else. God hears that cry. God hears that cry, not just in you, but he hears that cry in Moses, that Moses is not good enough. And the imagery of the foreshadowing is almost so bizarre that Moses says, I'll go with conditions, but there's someone else who comes along that God sends that he makes this declaration, not my will, but your will be done. There is someone else who comes along. There is someone else who does get it right. There is someone else who does fulfill the promise. There is someone else, and it's not you, it's not Moses, it's Jesus. And this story reminds us that the hero is not Moses, it is God. And one day he will come in the flesh and he will ultimately rescue his people. That's good news. That's good news. Let me pray for us. Father, thanks just for who you are. Jesus, as we meditate on 413 there, that Moses would ask, Lord, you send someone else. We get hindsight. And in the same way that you, you tell Moses to back away because of holiness, we're told now in Hebrews 10 that we get to draw near because of the blood of Jesus. And that is something that shakes us to our core because no one in this room outside of self-righteousness feels holy enough. We do not feel equipped enough. We do not feel uh, wired in the way to do what you've called us to do. And it is in our insecurities, it is in our imperfection, it is in our weakness that you desire to use us, that your name would be made great. Help us get there. We are a prideful people. We are a self-reliant people. And we need you. Jesus, thank you for fulfilling that you are someone who's come along, that you are better, you're a greater savior than Moses, you're a greater savior than we could ever be. You love our children more than we do. You love our family members more than we do. You love our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates, our friends more than we do. And we pray that you would be insistent to continue to use us and we would be bold and faithful enough to be used by you in those moments you call us to. Thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.